hey, Jace, you want to see my new mug I just got? I do. Oh, my God. I want one. Where do I get that? Is, is, oh, well, I'm so glad you asked. And, and it's very colorful. And it's a shame-free gay life um, on it, just in case people uh, are listening and not watching on YouTube. Um, but I'm so glad you asked. And I didn't pay you to ask that question. No. Um, <laughs> this mug, along with the same logo uh, on a t-shirt or a hoodie, can be found at lifecoachingbyfeltus.com when you click on the merch button or if you click on the link in my bio at Instagram, which is Eric Feltus. Hello, my friends. Eric Feltus here, life coach, speaker, actor, and host of The Great Unbecoming. This is a show about stories of unlearning. What did you let go of in order to become the person you are today? And what did you gain and learn as well? This is a show about letting go of stories that no longer serve us and stepping into our own authenticity. It's about unbecoming what society says you should be and remembering who you are and who you are meant to be. So sit back, relax, and welcome to The Great Unbecoming. Okay, y'all, I need to introduce my guest uh, today, Jace Farber, uh, who uses he, they pronouns, is an advertising professional, parent, and Price is Right fanatic, living in the heart of New York City. A queer trans man, Jace has been deconstructing his conservative religious upbringing for nearly a decade and has a passion for sharing his learnings with those around him. As a volunteer, he is the global co-lead of publicist groups, uh, employee resource group for LGBTQ plus employees and their allies. Oh my gosh. Oh, don't make me say this word. Um, uh, <laughs> e- egalite. Did I say that right? Yeah. Egalite. Yes. You're egalite. very close. I love it. Oh, yes. It's French. This is, what happens, this is what happens when we don't rehearse. Jace um, <laughs> uh, has facilitated, led, and participated in speaker panels, including prominent advocates in the queer community today. Check out his Instagram, which is at jace-bi-bi-far, F-A-R. And I will put that in the show notes, y'all, to follow his journey and parent. Jace, it's so good to see you. So good to see you. It's been a long time coming, but I'm very glad we were able to do this. I'm so glad we've been able to do this, too. So I love that you are on this de- has have been on this deconstruction journey. The Great Unbecoming is all about unlearning that which no longer serves us and becoming the people that we have always been meant to be getting back to that, that purity, which I think is the definition of spirituality is, is sort of alignment of, of self. And so I, I, I know we met, how did we meet? We met through, we met through Mike. Uh, yes. At my, mainly first through guest on the podcast. Yes. Yes. I do believe that was true. Yes. We met uh, through him at his uh, coming out anniversary party yeah. earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. So fun. Uh, I just like when like people meet like people. Um, I had a friend recently told me, uh, he goes, remember this, Eric, that which you seek is seeking you. And I feel Mm. like lately I've been seeking community and people who see me as I am. And so when you meet someone like Mike, you meet people like Mike through Mike. Um, Mike pays me a dollar every time I say his name. So the more you say it, the better. <laughs> do, do I get paid a dollar? I need to get this arrangement. <laughs> I didn't think so. I, I, listen, I'm not fighting for you. It's just all about you. No, me. it's all about you. That's okay. Um, speaking of you, let's talk about your journey. I would love to hear. I would love to hear your story. You know, I we were talking before we started recording. I feel. I mean, there's no question. I don't feel this. I know this is true. That that trans rights are under attack more than any other group in the world. Yeah. Um, there have been already, by the time we're recording this, although by the time it comes out, I know the number will be higher. Um, but, you know, in this year alone, there are over 500 anti-LGBT bills brought to legislation. Mm-hmm. There has been an increased rise in hate crimes towards the queer community. Um, trans people are not only politicized, but they are attacked. And so I, I know conversely, there is a group of people that want to understand, that want to know how they can help, but also don't know where to start. And so right. my job on this show, if, if we are not deconstructing or unlearning or unbecoming here, the call to action for listeners is for them to listen with an open mind and an open heart and mm-hmm. do their own process of unbecoming. So is it okay if we kind of start from your beginning and just kind yeah. of, uh, hear your story? Yes, let's, let's do that. Um, do you have any specific questions about, about all of that? go 
No. Um, awesome. <laughs> let's, let's jump in. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. I knew that you grew up religious. What was your What was your childhood like in the church, and and what was that experience like for you? Yeah. So I that's that's a great question. Um. So I grew up homeschooled uh, up until high school, and grew up in a southern uh, Arkansan evangelical family. Um, we were we were in a very prominent church in the South, uh, Southern Baptist Convention type uh, place, and we, you know, I grew up with a very loving family. Um, never had any needs, right, from a material standpoint, um, but very sheltered. Uh, we were raised to learn creationism only. You know, no, no real like quote scientific uh, science uh, history. Um, all of our history was biblical based. So whenever we learned world history, U.S. history, anything like that, it was brought through the lens of the Bible um, with Christian educational basis. Um, and then I was the eldest of four. So I have three younger sisters and we are all very close in age. Um, and so being the oldest, you kind of feel like a guinea pig a lot of the time. There's a lot of boundaries that are put on you that later you see some of your siblings don't have to have those boundaries because you're, you know, your parents have kind of learned that this is okay, this is okay, you know, okay, you can go do that. But whenever I was the eldest, you know, I had very strict curfews, I had things I was allowed to watch and not watch. And um, it wasn't until high school, when I went to school, I did go to a private Christian school. Um, but still, you're around people that may or may not believe the same things and send them send their kids to that school, because it is a good school, um, was exposed to a lot that I wasn't when I was just at home all day long. Um, and I started to question why, why I was being taught the things I was being taught and why I was being told that this is the only way, these are the only truths, anything outside of this is, you know, sin, it's from the devil, it's all of this. So a lot of what, a lot of my journey started uh, in high school, but I really stuck through my religion through high school and then right in college was where I was truly starting to reckon with the fact that I was not straight. I was not cisgender. And I was being exposed to the world in a way that I hadn't before and learning terms and history. Um, and that truly set my mind into a journey of wanting to research and know more. Pause, pause, pause. You just skipped yes. over so many important details. So <laughs> I mean, it's your story. So you're probably yes. telling it. I, uh, yeah, I have. in a nutshell, but a large nutshell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, dig yeah. in. So great. Okay, so you did start to question them. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't. I grew up Catholic and then evangelical. I went to a Catholic school mm -hmm. through eighth grade, and then even okay. I willingly chose to go to an evangelical church Wednesday nights and mm -hmm. Sunday mornings. My mom came with me. My dad stopped going to church. My parents were sort of like apathetic Catholics, mm -hmm. um, and so it wasn't as if they told me they didn't teach me creationism like they just didn't it just wasn't talked about homosexuality right. wasn't talked about i identify as a cisgender or gay man but it wasn't ever brought up i didn't know anyone that was gay and so bless mm -hmm. my mom and my dad both of them the first thing mm -hmm. they said after i came out was what did we ever do or say to ever make mm -hmm. you feel as if we wouldn't love you which is mm -hmm. the right response years later some of my listeners have heard me say this before, but years later, I recognize it's not what they said or did. It's what they didn't do or say. It's right? what they didn't do. Yeah. It was a lack. And now they know. Right. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. they, and they have grandkids and we are all together learning. Right. Yes. But, but still, I, I, I clung to this sinners in the hands of an angry God type of God. Um, mm. again, being a little dramatic, but, but believing that homosexuality was wrong and, um, for me personally, Jace, it was like I was taught this growing up. I had no examples otherwise. The last thing a child mm -hmm. wants to do is be different from their family. Right. If all of that is true and compounded on top of that, I believe that God can create miracles and I believe that it's mm -hmm. wrong. I'm going to cling to this because on top of that, there's a societal pressure. I also don't want to get bullied. So right. why don't I right. stay miserable until I am cured of this quote-unquote disease mm -hmm. called homosexuality? But that's me. I want to hear, like, up until college, what sort of question, how, what did the questioning look like for you? Uh, yes, then that's, that's great. And first of all, thank you for sharing all of those details again for those that haven't heard them. And I think it's really interesting to hear how different our paths were in our, in our queerness and our, our journey to be ourselves. Um, so my grandparents were huge 
members of Exodus International, which for those that don't know is one of the largest conversion therapy organizations in the world. Um, they disbanded in the early 2000s whenever Alan Chambers released a statement saying, we no longer believe that you choose to be gay. Exodus as an organization believes that you um, you know, are born this way and we're not, we believe conversion therapy is wrong. We've done a lot of harm to the community. Uh, my uncle was gay, came out in college and was ostracized from my family. I never saw him outside of once or twice at a Christmas party and we were not allowed to go to his home. We were not really ever introduced to him and his partner, his husband. Um, and he died tragically in 2000. And so we, or maybe it was 2001, it was in the early 2000, but I never had the opportunity to get to know a family member of mine that was gay because my family completely put him outside of our family. And that was the only example I had aside from gay is wrong. My grandparents lead conversion therapy with Exodus International. They travel the globe speaking at churches about what it's like to be a parent to a, a gay man and, you know, how they're praying for God to work a miracle similar to how you were feeling. Um, and so my entire life was, I had this person from the time I was born that I knew of, and I didn't want that to happen to me. I didn't want to be kicked out, you know, of the family. I didn't want to be the person that my grandparents were talking about, you know, kind of was this big issue in the family. Right, um, right. So, yeah, that's where that kind of, I questioned, do I say anything ever? Can I ask you what might be a nice yeah. question? No, do go for it. Do you feel growing up, uh, in the body in which you were born, without mm -hmm. having the words to right. attach to who you are, your essence, um, did but we did have words like gay, lesbian. Did you right. think that you were lesbian, but did that not feel right? Like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I definitely didn't feel, that's a good question, I didn't feel straight. <laughs> something was off. Something was um, yeah, something was not right. And I always knew... And, and wanted to be a, a boy, right? Like I always was growing up feeling like I'm not a, I'm not a girl. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a boy. And I was constantly saying, I feel like a boy. I, I don't feel like a girl. And that was confusing for people. My parents, you know, what does this mean? You know, oh, you're a tomboy. That's the rhetoric we had at the time was you're, you're a tomboy, Which right? Which also lesbians are identified as tomboys. Right. Too. Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even more confusing. And whenever you don't feel straight but you're being told you're a girl you're like well I must be a lesbian or I must be you know into girls and through college that was more my experimental of like am I into women is this my thing and really I'm not like really really truly not and I and I try you know I did I gave it my best shot we do right as gay men we give it our best shot um and but that that really fitting those puzzle pieces together of I don't feel like, a, I know I'm not a girl. It's not that I don't feel like I'm a girl. I know I'm not a girl. I was assigned female at birth, but I'm not, you know, I'm not straight then, right? So, yeah, but yeah. then I'm attracted to men. Coming out with the with the terminology um, throughout the last 10 years of understanding what it means to be trans, what it means to be gay, what it means to be queer, and all of those labels also are unique to the individual. And you define those in your own life. And I think it's important to to claim those in the way that you feel uh, makes sense for you. Well, I think also, you know, with those terminologies, uh, thank you for that. I love that. And it, it's like words can give you permission to uh, access your own freedom, mm -hmm. but they also yes. can be binding. So it's kind of they can be binding. a yeah. fine line. Um, but what I hear you saying is that the words that we have, you, you know, constructed over the last 10 years have also helped us to separate, and it's important distinction, the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, yes. Because I could imagine that that would be very confusing for you growing up in the, in the body that mm -hmm. you had. Mm -hmm. I'm attracted to boys, but it, which is so fascinating to me because I also was attracted to boys, obviously, but I also never questioned that I was a boy. And I think it's really right. important right as we raise children and listeners listening to this too, there is a grave distinction. So thank you for that. Super important. Absolutely. And you yeah. know, I think that's one thing we talk about is that kids don't know. And I think it's important to say, just let, let children question and let them make that decision as they grow. Um, and 
as we kind of impose societal norms, whether that be in gender expression, gender identity, sexuality, um, it, it causes, that causes the confusion, at least in my experience. That was what caused the confusion rather than if I would have been, you know, allowed, exposed, uh, uh, the ability to kind of explore, I think everything would have been more clear from an earlier standpoint. Nothing would have been different necessarily in the way that I came out, but um, I think you would ju- I just would have had a more clear path to who I was. This is why I, I think it's so important when we do when we talk about Pride Month, for example, um, mm-hmm. this episode will most likely come out after Pride Month, but it's important uh, to recognize that we don't celebrate pride because of our uh, identities or orientations. We mm-hmm. celebrate pride because we have the courage to say who we are in the face of all the vitriol and the shame that makes it so difficult for us to do this. Yes. So. Um, yes. Okay, great. So I think we were in college. So college is where you were like really kind of faced with some of these things, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, college was interesting. I, I had several friends um, that I had met who were gay and queer and their experiences, uh, some were similar to mine and some were much different. Some grew up secular, uh, no religious background at all. Some had grown up religious, but similar kind of to you, Eric, were um, not necessarily told by their family that things were wrong, but the church had told them that things were wrong and then, you know, their, their lessons, the Bible, all of that. Um, and so I was meeting people that had a similar end situation of being queer, of being gay, of being trans, whatever it might be, but our paths were so different. And yet we all had this commonality of going through a journey of having to dissect what we thought we were or who we thought we needed to be to unpack and figure out who's the true self, who are you without all the noise, without everything else around you. When you sit alone and you look at who you are, who is that person? Because we are so inundated by what, by things we're taught by, you know, expectations of family and friends. Um, Perhaps it's, it's something, someone we want others to perceive us as, but we lay the head on our pillow and we have to be with that person. And who is that person that we are? And and how do you figure that out? Right? That's that's the big question. And I think that's where in college, meeting people, hearing their stories, um, becoming friends with people, joining um, a, a queer LGBTQ BRG at, at school or it was a, a student resource group, um, and hearing them say things like, I just want to be happy. And I don't want it to be because other people are happy for me or proud of me. I want to find my own happiness. I want to do it with me and my relationship, um, you know, whether it be with God, with their spiritual beliefs um, or within themselves to say, this is my anchor. It's not everyone else because everyone else will change. People come and go. And this is what matters. Beautiful. Beautiful. And this is one thing I love about being queer is especially as a cisgender white man, I have so much privilege. And I think my, my queerness gives me, in, in, in part, the gift of empathy in a very, again, privileged mm-hmm. and safe way. If this is how I feel, what does it feel to be othered in different ways, in less mm-hmm. safe ways? But also really facing these questions. And it's like, once you start, you, you, you can't stop. And I, you know, right. I came out several years ago and I had this false idea that coming out would be easy. It's not. It just mm-hmm. makes your life more authentic. But mm-hmm. I also recognize that I, coming out of the gay closet is a completely different closet than coming out of the the sex positivity closet, as an example, mm-hmm. right? Like, like mm-hmm. I, I found myself jumping into a relationship with a man because I because I could I felt shame around sexual activity outside of a relationship. Just these right. rules that we put on ourselves. So I'm you know 37 now, and I'm still unbecoming. I'm still shedding mm-hmm. what no longer serves me. So. I just, I love that. I love that reminder that queerness is really awesome. And it's a gift. It is fun. <laughs> it is a gift. It's so fun. And scary. And scary. I think living in New York and being close to, you know, I walk by the Stonewall Monument. Uh, and for those that, that don't know, look it up. I think it's, I think there's a lot of history there to be read. Um, but, I, you know, walking by and, and seeing where a lot of these movements have taken place and originated gives uh, meaning a lot to the to the challenges that we face as a community now and uh, where we've been, but we're strong and we're resilient and 
love is truly the center. I mean, at the end of the day, when you think about the queer community, what are we trying to do? We're trying to love authentically. And our allies, the best thing we can do is just give us room to love people. Give us room and space to love. And what is so threatening about love? Right. (laughs) You believe what you want to believe, but to impart those beliefs on other people, that's not love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's manipulation. Okay, so mm-hmm. you, you started kind of facing these questions in college, probably feeling seen in a new way too, right? Like yeah. other queer people. Yeah, validated, very seen. Um, but also still that confusion of, of trying to, uh, at the time, I wasn't out as trans. I didn't have too much verbiage for that. Um, the only trans people I knew at the time uh, were were trans women who were straight. So they were trans women attracted to men right? Or they were trans men attracted to women. So I had no experience or exposure to people who were like me, who were trans and, and gay or trans and lesbian. So I didn't know that wasn't, was like an option, right? Like visibility is huge in the queer community. And I think back to the point of why do we do pride? It is that visibility for people who aren't out, who don't see people like them, who don't know that XYZ is is an option. Um, And so growing up, you know, the way I did that exposure was limited going to college, you know, in Arkansas. Also, I did have exposure, but that was still limited. Um, but as I, as I was exploring my sexuality and exploring these, uh, in, encounters, you know, I just kept kind of falling back to like, no, I'm, I'm attracted to men. I have a queer, I have a queer bone in my body. I do identify as bisexual and queer, yeah. but that's, you know, it's, it's more of a one-off thing. But I do think that, whenever we talk about transness, that is a different, a totally different journey um, of coming out as trans versus coming out with, with your sexuality, right? Because you are having to navigate things like perception from the world, things that could be uh, legal issues where it's, you know, same with, there are legal issues with sexuality and, and things, but legal issues around your ID, legal issues around where, you know, that right now the bathrooms you can and can't use, like the, all of these things that are happening. Um, my exposure was, was limited. So I didn't know that you could be trans and gay. I didn't know that that was an option as I became more aware. And I, then I also started seeing the hate towards the trans community. It only kept me sheltered for longer. It only kept me closeted for longer because at that point I was married and had a child, you know, around the time that this was all kind of starting to come to light um, in my own mind. And I was getting exposure to people who were like me. And the, the last thing on earth I wanted to do was risk the safety of my family, of my child, um, because that's, you have to weigh those things as a queer person in the community that we're in today in the society that we're in today. And you bring children into it and the stakes are so much higher because you have another so much higher to be responsible for. Um, right. I'm curious. I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. You know, <laughs> going from appearing uh, from what society would say is a quote unquote woman to not. What was your, because cisgender people have never, would never experience that. What is that? Mm. What is that experience like to, 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 not to, I don't mean see the world because you've always seen the world as you, but to be seen right. by the world as what the world would say as a woman, to be seen all the way to be seen by the world as someone who appears to be what a man is. Does that make sense? Right. Like, yes, it totally what, makes sense. What was that like for you? It was jarring to put it <laughs> lightly. Um, one of the best things that I will say this is, everyone should have a therapist. <laughs> everyone should see, should seek therapy. Right. Um, I have an amazing therapist who is, who specializes in, in trans, uh, lives. You know, she, she works with people who are transgender. Um, one of the first things that I did before I came out was seek someone with professional experience who helped as a therapist, people who are trans. I did not want to go into this blindly. I did not want to come out and not have the knowledge of what am I going to feel? What are some examples of things I might experience? How do I cope with this ahead of time? Um, And that's a very, honestly, a very privileged place to be, to be able to number one, afford therapy as a queer person, to have the people around me that surrounded me 
uh, that told me you're going to want therapy and you should get in it now before you come out, get your, you know, get your steps lined up. Um, so anyone who is thinking about coming out, please get in therapy first, talk about it with your therapist before you come out, um, and have kind of a game plan for those, those things you might feel. Um, but one of the things that we worked on, which I think was really important was do it in little steps. So instead of just changing your appearance and going by your, by your new name, right. And doing that all day one, start with little things, go to the coffee shop at, you know, and when they ask for your name, give them your name that you've never said out loud before. It's a stranger. They don't know you. They don't care about your name. They're just putting it on a cup and see how that feels when they call your name. Does that feel good? Does that feel weird? You know, like start with the little things, you know, whenever you go to shop for clothes, um, go to a department store, not a specialized store, go to a department store where maybe it will look like you're shopping for someone else. So it's not quite as intimidating. You're going into a store where there are lots of other departments and you, maybe you're just browsing, but see how it feels to look at those clothes that you want to wear and maybe take them and try them on. Right. Those tips were huge in helping me slowly get exposed to the world in a different light. But the first time I was correctly gendered by a stranger at a Mets game, actually, um, I felt like I was flying. I felt the best I had ever felt. And that was the epitome of like all of this work, all these little steps I've done to take off the layers of this person that I used to be seen as to who I am now, um, all came to fruition in that moment. I'm getting emotional. That's so beautiful. And, um, I mean, I think that what you're also pointing at is, you know, again, the importance of respecting pronouns and respecting what people want to be called, seeing people as they are, um, mm -hmm. has to be so validating and, and affirming for you, for us. Yes, it is. It, and not having to hide, um, yeah. you know, as, as a, as a gay man in spaces where our entire existence um, is invalidated is constantly in the media, right? Just to be seen and then accepted for who you are, no questions asked, really not much of a care, that shows more care to, to us as, as human beings is that I, you know, you are who you are, I love who you are, and it doesn't change how I feel about you or how I'm going to treat you in this moment. Um, that and like being, being correctly, you know, gendered for me on top of all of the work I had put in to now know that this it's kind of paying off um, yeah. that like, I'm going to get emotional too. I just, I remember that moment and I was worried when I started speaking that my voice would give it away. You hear, you know, you hear like your voice has changed when you, you know, when you start to transition, you're on hormones, et cetera. Um, but even once I started speaking, this person continued to correctly gender me uh, without me saying anything. And that was a really, uh, important moment. And so anytime I'm misgendered now, I kind of remember that moment and say that that's coming, that'll happen again. Uh, you know, this, this moment's fleeting, but that will remain those types of things that you have to remember to tell yourself. Can I ask you to give a, a, a I'm going to ask a question. Can I ask, is it about yeah. giving a tip to allies, to people who want to be better? Yes. I want, I want you to touch a little bit on, let's say someone does misgender you. Let's say someone accidentally mm. says the wrong pronoun. Talk about what is appropriate versus what is not appropriate when you correct mm. them. Right. So I would say that in my experience, if, so I'll kind of answer two, two ways. Uh, one, if I'm, if I'm correcting the person, right, if someone misgenders me to me and I'm correcting them, the best way for me to do it in that case is just to politely say, Hey, you might not be aware. And, and if you are aware, these are my pronouns. Um, I would appreciate it if you would respect them and, and use those going forward. Right. If they continue to make the mistake and they are not apologetic about it or aware, a lot of times people catch themselves and they're, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I didn't mean to do that. If they're not apologetic and they just continue to use it incorrectly, that's someone that I don't typically want around me. And I'll just kind of get them out of my life. You know, like I'm not going to bring negative energy into my bubble that I have very carefully crafted to, to remain healthy. Um, but I think the everything. Yes, this is everything. Um, actions speak louder than words. And in this case, the words are the action. So that's, it's, a, it's, it's duplicate. Um, but I think for me, one of the biggest forms of allyship is whenever people I know and love do that correcting 
for me when I'm not around, right? It's that character moment. It's the, hey, I heard X, I heard so-and-so talking about you um, and they don't need to tell me, you know, don't, don't come at me and tell me every time you correct someone. That's you also just, you know, you want me to pat you on the back? Like, what? <laughs> exactly. Just be a good person. Right. But sometimes, right. But sometimes I'll hear about it and they'll say, Hey, you know, your friend told me your pronouns. I had no idea. You know, I'm glad they told me now I can use it correctly as an ally. We need voices where our voices are not allowed or are not heard or are not present, but those voices should never erase our, 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 um, like autonomy. So it should be putting that, uh, power and voice back on the person. So a friend of mine, you know, corrected a friend and said, Hey, you know, Jace goes by he and they pronouns. Um, but if you have questions, you know, definitely ask him. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know. And that person came to me and told me that my friend had said that. And that meant a lot to know that they were not saying, I'm telling you, this is how it is. You need to do this. It was, Hey, I'm just letting you know, Jace uses he, they pronouns. And you should go ask them if you have questions, right? Kind of like bringing the, bringing the responsibility back to me as well. Um, but as an ally, I think those are the ways that, that have the biggest impact is whenever we are, we are not there to do it, um, ourselves. Right. And I would just say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, like I, yeah. I'm thinking more of like, what is the responsibility of the ally? I think mm. of the ally, yeah. thoughts on this, but like, you know, don't feel you need to be overly apologetic. Perhaps don't apologize. Yeah. Like, Thank you for correcting me and move on. Don't make a big thing. Right, right. I'm sure that is right. exhausting for you. And you don't need to hold the guilt of everyone around Right, you. That's not your job. Right. And it also, could, yes, you don't need to hold the guilt. It can also make, um, you know, a mountain out of a molehill, to use a phrase. It can cause unneeded attention to a group of people. I've had it in, in a group. There's, you know, nine or ten people. And, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Did you know also person sitting next to me? Did you know they use he, they, pro-? you know, don't, don't bring everyone else into it. Yeah, I just want to let everyone else know. Like, don't, it's, it's not about everyone else in the moment, just very quickly move on. You know, it's, I kind of think of it like you bump into someone on the sidewalk. You're just like, Oh, sorry. Walk on by. Same thing. (laughs) Right. Don't make a big deal out of it. They don't, they don't need all the attention. (laughs) That's actually the, that's the way someone described it to me once um, of like, going back to the guilt, you know, like I've had people that from my past that have approached me and apologized for the way that they've treated me. I received that. I'm grateful for that. But if you keep yeah. coming at me and continue to apologize at that point, you are waiting for me to relieve you of your guilt. And that is for your therapist. Right. Don't make it does for your therapist. Yeah. Guilt. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, yes. Oh my goodness. Right. I also notice, um, just because of my being raised in, in the religious household that I was, I carried guilt for a lot of things longer and heavier than I needed to because of the way that, uh, we were taught, right? Like our sins, every, everything that you did wrong was a sin. It wasn't just a mistake. It was a sin. It hurt God's heart. Therefore you are, you know, you are causing pain to the Lord and, and you need to own that and ask for forgiveness. And I just remember things as simple as like spilling a glass of milk, right? Felt so heavy on me. And like, I cannot believe I just did this. That's a sin, you know, to make a mistake. And I, I do see allies who come from a lot of the background that I did of like a very evangelical, conservative, religious background, carry that guilt heavier. And and in theory, they release it to the Lord, but they carry it deeper. And as long as you're showing up as an ally and you're doing the work, that guilt doesn't need to be present because as a person, I've forgiven you if you're trying and you know I forgive everybody when they ask, but like if your actions... Are, are showing me that you're trying, then you don't need to feel guilty. But I do think as a society of, of like religion in general, guilt is, is pushed so hard on things. I recently interviewed um, my friend, Michael Sasaki, who's Buddhist. And mm. he's one of my favorite people in the world. And we just connect so on such deep levels. And, and, and we realize how similar, but different Buddhism and, and Christianity are. Um, one thing he's taught me is that Buddhists don't believe in guilt. And I think what he means to say mm. is that Buddhists don't believe in giving guilt power. Um, you know, right. instead of what they say is turn poison into medicine. So you have this feeling that mm. it doesn't feel good. They also have this metaphor of like a double arrow. You get shot with an arrow. Don't shoot yourself with another arrow. So you're experiencing mm. discomfort and you need to recalculate or recalibrate, right? And get back on track right. to getting it right. And I say this all the time, but as Brene Brown says, we're not here to be right. We're here to get it right. 
you know? So yes. you didn't, you didn't get it right. Don't shoot yourself with another arrow. You already got shot with one arrow. Take the arrow right. out, learn the lesson and recorrect and, and recalibrate. And recorrect. Yes. I think that is, that is such a great um, metaphor. It's such a great saying. And, and that's what I've had to do as a, as a queer person, as a trans person is I've carried that guilt for so long of feeling that I was wrong for just being myself or wanting to be myself. Um, and then that guilt carried it over into other areas of my life where things maybe weren't as important as, you know, I felt they were or weren't as heavy as they were, but the guilt that I was carrying from just my existence as a whole in this world was kind of bleeding over into other areas of my life and causing guilt where guilt was not warranted. Oh yeah. And probably shame, right? Guilt is I and shame. bad. Shame mm-hmm. is I am bad. Mm-hmm. And that's so much mm-hmm. harder to, to correct. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, what, so I don't even remember where we were in your story, Jace. I think you, you were uh, almost to the point of transitioning, of, of kind of coming out yeah. as a trans person, right? Right, right. Being closeted, uh, knowing who I was at that point, I had met people, you know, right out of college, working, um, had met more people through my work in advertising. We, uh, we have a lot of queer people in our agencies. Um, and thankfully through my work in college was able to get into volunteering with our, with our LGBTQ affinity group at work and had met several, you know, trans and queer people that had similar identities as me. They were trans and they were attracted to the same sex, um, attracted to the same gender. And I now had exposure. I now had resources. I now had experiences to pull from um, and say, okay, this is real. There are other people like me out there that exist. How do I want to identify? How do I even adjust my life to allow for this kind of space? Um, I was living in Arkansas. I was not in a safe state. Um, I had been in and out of New York visiting family for several years and had started being intentional about my time when I would visit the city uh, all through, you know, around 2018, 2019, all the way up until I moved here last year. And pardon me. And through that time would spend my, my weekends here at events with other queer people. So I would go to a knitting club at the library that was like specifically for queer people, right? I would go to a coffee shop that was hosting a queer open mic. I would, I would very intentionally, find spaces that were curated for the trans and queer experience and meet other people. And I started to realize that I needed to move and get out of Arkansas. And that was the hardest decision um, in a way that I'd ever made. And it was easy because I knew I wanted to be safe. It was easy because I knew I need to be somewhere I can be my full self and not put my family at risk and not put my life at risk. But it was very hard and that I was, I was raised in Arkansas. I was five minutes from my parents I was close to all of my friends from from early and uprooting your life for safety and and um, authenticity is so hard. But I had seen several other friends as well do that in a couple of months prior to me. And so we all experienced this chaotic uprooting of our lives and changing things around only to find the most peace that I've ever felt in my entire life, being able to have community and have chosen family and have a space where I can live and breathe and just know that I'm not, um, I'm not in a state at the moment that's trying to currently actively harm me, <laughs> which is huge. And, and it means a lot. Well, you talked about, you know, like going to a department store, like going, like shopping mm-hmm. for clothing. I'm sure in New York, it's so much easier. Oh, it's so much easier without anyone batting an eye. Is it where you Right. Right. Is it, yes. And it's funny, my parents came to visit uh, last week, actually. And uh, it, they were like, I get it now. I, I, you know, I get it. I walked in, I see a million people that look kind of, you know, kind of like you and you can kind of blend in, but not you stand out in a, in a good way here. Um, but but I think it's important to take a moment to recognize that that, it, again, carries so much privilege that I, my job was able to put me in the office up here, I was able to move. There are literally thousands of trans individuals and youth, right? We're thinking trans children that live in states that it is extremely dangerous to exist in right now. And they don't have the ability to relocate. They don't have the ability to move and and change and be somewhere that it feels safer. Um, And so it's very important to research 
the the laws that are happening and how can someone in the state vote for the right policies to protect these children and these families that don't have the means or the ability to relocate um, or who are seeking care out of state. And I have a family who, who lives in Arkansas that's good. The mom is a good friend of mine. And and her, her child is going through a lot of stuff right now in relation to this. And I struggle in the sense that there has to be some way for us to help remotely. And I think the biggest thing is just raising awareness. The, the biggest thing is just raise awareness. If you live in a state where there are active laws, vote against them, vote for the people who are going to help. Um, and then just show love. Just show love to everyone. It's, it's really simple as that. Mm. Speaking of showing love, can you shine a little light on what your parents' journey has been like? I mean, they went from being kind of heavily involved to Exodus International to visiting you in New York and, and affirming your journey. So what, what was that, that uh, journey mm-hmm. like for them? Yeah, so it was uh, it was my grandparents that were uh, really involved oh, in Exodus. Um, yeah, but my, my parents uh, adjacent because it was my dad's brother, right? So very, very similar. Um, but my family as a whole has been cordial, I would say. They they love, you know, they continue to say, we love you no matter what. You know, we, we don't want to, we're always going to love you. We don't want to change you, right? You know, you are who you say that you are. Um, but it is a struggle because while my name is being used correctly, most of the times my pronouns are not. So the misgendering does still happen. Um, and I know that it's not necessarily intentional, but I do think there's a layer of a lot of unlearning that has to happen um, on their side. They've known me my entire life. I'm their child, right? So um, while this is very personal to me, I went through this journey and this decision privately. I didn't really consult a lot of people. I, I consulted friends and, and therapists um, about their experience. And with my therapist, I divulged mine. But with my close friends, you know, I would give them a little insight here and there. But I truly wanted to make sure that I was making these decisions and coming out for me and not for anyone else. And so while I had a really great surrounding group of friends and I was able to, you know, be queer, my journey to coming out as trans was very personal. And so I didn't talk to my family about it until I already made the decision. I didn't talk to my family about I was going to transition. I was going to change my name. I was going to use new pronouns until I had made the decision, had started the hormones, was doing everything I needed to do um, to feel the most authentic and safe in myself. And then I said, hey, this is what's happening. Um, Get on board or don't. But this isn't a decision to make together. And I think that was a little bit of a shock for for everyone. And that's okay. I had to do what I felt best doing. Um, But they're trying. and. I think that's all at this point I can really ask um, because it's more than a lot of people get, unfortunately. So I'm very blessed to have a family that is doing their best, all things considered. Now, you also you talked a little bit about your spiritual journey in your formative years. Mm-hmm. I always tell my clients or anyone I talk to, some people decide in my program to go back to church. Some never want to step inside mm-hmm. the church again. I bless your journey. To me, religion is nothing more than a vehicle that can get you Mm -hmm. closer to love or closer to fear. So in and of Mm -hmm. itself, it's not the answer. It's more about the intention. But I'm curious to hear where are you with your spiritual journey at this point? Yeah, I would would consider that to be, I, I am not a religious person, but I am spiritual, right? So I do have a lot of, I feel a lot of connection to energy. And I, it's funny, I was having this conversation with a friend last week, actually, um, where I was, we were talking about the difference between like energy and like how feeling an energy versus feeling a feeling. And I think my religious life and my early spiritual life was all based on how I was feeling. I was manipulated by the music in the church. I was manipulated by praying really long prayers in the sense that I felt connection to something that I was supposed to believe in, um, versus now for me, you know, I might be walking along the pier, I might be reading a book, and just this feeling of like presence will like overcome, or this feeling of like, goodness and wholeness will overcome. Um, But it's more of an energy, it's more like a power, it's more of something that resonates in the space, rather than something mental or something that kind of like, just kind of comes and goes. Um, 
And so for me, I think spirituality is really important, feeling connected to other people, feeling connected to the energy of other people, feeling like if, and I use the word feeling, but I guess the right word is just more like being drawn to the energy of, of whatever else is out there. Right. And I, I am more open to other religions. I've learned a lot about Buddhism, Taoism, different religions like that since I moved to New York, gone to museums, gone to the library. And there's so much more out there than I was exposed to. And so to answer the question of where am I on that journey? um, I think I just, I want to learn more at this point because I was taught everything else other than the Southern Baptist denomination is wrong. And this is the only truth. And so I was never even taught about Taoism. I heard about Buddhism and heard it was like a terrible thing, quote, right? That's what my, that's what I was raised. But now that I've met people who are Buddhist or I've read about it, I'm like, wow, this is actually a very beautiful religion. And this is very spiritually driven. It's not that much different at its core, at its core. And most, most beautiful, um, you know, most beautiful uh, spiritualities and religions are similar um, at their core. And I think that's what's beautiful about them is we're all people. We're all trying to walk this journey of life together. Um, and at the root of most of this is love, right? At the root of most of all of these is, is love and is humanity. Um, and so spiritually, I just feel drawn to people and whatever they are bringing to the table. And is it is it negative or positive? And is that energy negative or positive? Um, and then wherever I end up, great uh, in terms of spirituality, but I'm not following any specific religion the moment and don't see that being the thing. <laughs> yeah. And if at all, how has your queerness uh, affected your spirituality or your spiritual journey? Mm. That's a good question. It has, it has affected in that I have at this point stayed away from Western religions pretty heavily in the last five to six years. Um, anything that is rooted in anti-LGBTQ anything, I I won't even <laughs> consider it <laughs> because then it, it invalidates my existence and it invalidates who I am and, and forces you to change. So it has it has opened my eyes to that doesn't have to be part of a religion for the religion to be valid. I think growing up there was always like, what is your stance on XYZ? Um, what is your stance on, you know, queer rights? What is your stance on marriage? What is your stance on tithing what is you know there's always like what is your denomination or your beliefs as a rule book book, and and it's opened up right it's opened up my eyes to say that's not what spirituality is that's not what it's about but that's what religion does and so differentiating my queerness has allowed me to differentiate religion from spirituality at the end of the day there it is I love that. It, it, spirituality comes from the word spirit, which means free, versus religion, mm-hmm. which comes from, I want to say the word is religos. I could be saying that wrong, which means bound. So it sounds mm. like your queerness has set you free onto a It has set me free. Yes, that. absolutely. So for me, I feel like the more I love my queerness, the more I feel seen by Christ. And when I say Christ, mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever heard of the book, The Universal Christ by Richard Rohr? I have. I have not read it, but I have heard of it. Phenomenal. It's Father so Richard good. Rohr, and it's... You know, his, so his religion is, is Catholic, but he's very liberal. And the idea of the universal Christ is that it's not bound to Christianity. Christ is not Jesus's last mm. name, <laughs> right? Like right, Christ right. Is, is Buddha. It's, 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 it's universal, unconditional, mm-hmm. radical love. So for me personally, the more I, I, I identify as, um, actually I interviewed someone earlier on the podcast that, that introduced me to this new term, new term to me, Christian agnosticism, which I love. So to me, it's like, I'm like a Buddhist Christian agnostic, which is like just admitting that I don't have the answers, but the stories of Jesus resonate with me. And I think the mm-hmm. more I do love who I am, the more I feel seen and loved by what I would say is Christ, the more I want to be more like this man named Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the more I'm able to personify Jesus. And I, right. Jesus never said, come, fo- come worship me. He said, come follow me. Come follow. Want- That's so true. Right. So I am inspired by those stories. And I also fully respect and understand people who put that down and never want to step inside it again. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus would understand that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And who never wanted a religion named after him anyway. Who never wanted, right. He's, he said, don't go to the temple. Don't go in there. Come over, you know, that is where there, there, there's rules, the priests, all that, you know, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cool dude. 
I mean, I want the hair. Can I? Is that, <laughs> no, it's it's great, and, and I think that's so beautiful to think of it in the sense of um, Christ. Christ as a like a like a goal, right? Like, and I think that's how it was always. That's always how it was like proposition. It was like your goal is to be Christ-like, higher but higher consciousness, and and we phrase it like that, but then we put all these rules around it. And we put all these 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 boundaries, and I think that that's at the at the heart of what queerness is. It's truly opening up your heart and mind, and being allowing allowing Christ or whoever it that being is for you to just allow yourself to love others through that kind of love that you're being shown, which is accepting your whole self for who you are, how you were created, how you were made, all of that, um, and and not being ashamed. I think we talk about you know we always talk about like living unashamed or living um, out, not living in fear, but living in truth. And I don't see that exemplified any more than I do in the queer community, living in their truth, living free of shame, living as their whole selves and showing love. And what is more Christ-like and what is more free than loving yourself who you are and sharing that love to others. And that's, that is my queer journey. That's what I've seen. And that's what I want for everyone, whether you're queer or an ally, um, is just to know that at the heart of everything just be yourself, love yourself as Christ would love you, as if you're not religious, as you should love you. And and that is what's going to bring you the, the most freedom that you've ever felt. The end. Don't say another word. Done. That's it. We're done. <laughs> Jason, it's been such a pleasure. Remind us, and again, I'll say it, in, I'll put it in the show notes. Remind us again, if people want to reach out to you about their own journeys, how they can do so. What's your handle? Again? Yeah. Yeah, so my handle is uh, at Jace underscore by B-I underscore far F-A-R, uh, and that's on Instagram. Um, and yeah, reach me, DM, whatever, always down to talk and connect. Pause. Is it underscore or dash? It's underscore. Ah, oh, you put dash in your email. You lied. Oh, I'm, I messed it up. That's okay. That's okay. Should we I'm sure I'll still bit? pop up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just want to keep talking to you, Eric, so that was all on purpose, actually. <laughs> Fun. I will either way y'all I will put I will put um, his handle in the show notes we can talk anytime Perfect. we don't have to Always. record it to be friends no let's just talk let's and I want I want to drink out I want to buy your mug I want to drink out of your mug it's gonna be great <laughs> it's so cute it's so cute I love it too thank you so much Eric this was thank this you. was a beautiful time y'all thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week bye All right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unbecoming. And if you did, please share this on your social media and tag me, Eric Feltus. That's Eric Feltus on Instagram and Facebook and Eric.Feltus on TikTok. And to make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts and go ahead and give us a five-star review. Your ratings and reviews are really the fuel that keep us going and we're so grateful for your support. And of course, check out this episode and all episodes on our YouTube channel at Life Coaching by Feltus. And finally, don't forget to go to www.lifecoachingbyfeltus.com and sign up for our email list and stay up to date on everything that's coming up and going on in our shame-free community. I will see you next time. And until then, know that in this space, you are always seen, supported, and celebrated. Bye for now.